So we have this great story of a call on someone's life, the dramatics of God intervening to have his will done, a whale or a fish involved in that, and then Jonah finally obeying. Who here has ever had a call in their life and ran from it? <laughs> Who here has ever had like a big fish be a part of getting you back on track? No. <laughs> it will take a big fish for you, Chris. <laughs> Did you call me a big fish? Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I am... I'm stuck. <laughs> so I was going to say next, whoever has had something crazy happen to you to get you back on track, that you knew that was without a mo you know, sure God was steering you back in this direction. Because really God's going to use the entire universe to get our attention, right? That's, it's, it's in with his realm and he will use that to get our attention. So Jonah obeyed, preached the message that God gave to him, and the Holy Spirit convicted the people of their sins, so there was a great repentance, a revival broke out, people were changed, a city was changed, and then we have this jarring moment. But first, some other stuff. I want you guys, Nineveh is a real city. Sometimes we think, we hear these words that we don't know, aren't familiar with, and we wonder if they're like, like Hogwarts and... Narnia, but Nineveh is a real city. It is, um, according to Wikipedia, an ancient Assyrian city of Upper Mesopotamia, located on the outskirts of Mosul, in nor modern-day northern Iraq. Okay, so this is a real location; had real people in it. Um, today is a common name for half of Mosul, which lies on the eastern bank of the Tigris River. Okay, second, before I get into the juxtaposition moment, I have always been a student of revival. It's a curiosity of mine, it's a, it's a heartbeat of mine. Um, back when I got the call from God to go into the ministry full time, I got a very specific call in my life in a, in a vision, if you want to know. And part of that vision was to go to one specific university. And, I, and, I didn't, and the school I knew, and I didn't like the school, but it was very specific for God telling me to go to this one. I did, I graduated, I have no memories of the school other than some bad stuff. Other than, I had two professors that really, really, really took an interest in me. And one of them was named Rick Olson. And he began, the second semester I was there, and he began this whole new youth ministry program, which back in 1983 was rather new. And um, when Rick came, he started this 7 a.m. prayer meeting in our chapel for the youth revival of the 1990s. And this is again, this, is, this began, this prayer meeting began January 1st, 1984. And I have a love of 7.30 a.m. classes. So for me to get up at 7 a.m. to go to this prayer meeting was in my wheelhouse. And so for my years in college, I would spend them at 7 a.m. with Rick and other students. It wasn't just the two of us. It was many others praying for this coming youth revival of the 1990s. Um, and I was, I was all in. I was, this, was, this was coming. So January 1990 comes. I'm living out here now. I actually positioned my life to get ready for this youth revival. And it, it never happened. In fact, just from a youth ministry perspective, I would say the decade of the 90s, the youth ministry was one of our worst. 
there was a lot of just bad youth ministry that is, was done that has caused a lot of hurt in young adults that have left the church. Um, now there's many reasons why we have this fleeing of 20-somethings from the church. Um, many, many, many reasons. And I will not blame youth pastors completely for that. But I also have known many, many, many dumb youth pastors who have hurt teenagers. So this youth revival of the 90s just didn't happen. Darcy's laughing because she was in this 90s and she knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and anyway, uh-huh. So didn't happen. On top of that, in January 1990, I found out that Rick Olson was having an affair with one of my girlfriends. Um, it was an acquaintance friend of mine who stayed at my apartment back before I moved out here. I hadn't seen her for a couple years, obviously. And so Rick wasn't even around for this revival. This stuff, this stuff forms you. Especially when you're young in the ministry, this stuff forms you. Um, but it still has a, a hunger. So I've been reading a lot lately about the Jesus people movement from the early 70s. We're about 50 years. And shake, were you part of it? Yeah. Woo! Okay. Anna Shaker, uh, yes, this is about 50 years, 50 years old now. Anne was two when she was in it. <laughs> um, so we're getting the historical perspective of it where there's enough space and time to, to learn from it. And I've been reading books and interviews and podcasts. It's just been fascinating to me. And it's also a little fascinating to me because if my dad was younger, he would have been all a part of it. Um, he was, in the 1950s, my dad hitchhiked across the country, drove Volkswagens, um, experimented, found Jesus, and <laughs> in 1968, the great summer of 1968, we were actually living in California, outside of San Francisco. Um, but at that point, my dad was the father of three working at Lockheed Martin, running a spy program, so he was nowhere near Haight-Asbury. Um, but I think he would have wanted, I think, he, I don't know, I, I, because in the early 70s, I remember this so strongly, I was like seven or eight, my mom and dad would hold Friday night Bible studies at a Catholic church where the charismatic renewal was breaking out, and they were discipling the hippies. And when you're seven, eight years old, being dragged to these Bible studies, and you've seen this hippie fashion that's really cute. It really forms you, you know what I mean? Um, and so I spent a lot of my Friday nights with these hippies, with my parents, because that's who they chose to disciple. So I think my dad would have loved it, would have totally been into it, minus his age. So, okay, I've got a whole page of notes here. Um, so here's a historical nutshell of what happened in 1967-68. A married couple high in LSD had an experience with God on an ocean beach in California. For real. This is, this is it. It impacted them so much that they, went, they moved into the Haight-Asbury district that summer of 68 and began coffeehouse ministries and street ministries and runaway ministries because all those runaways were coming down to Haight-Asbury for the summer of love 68. And they just began this, this work. Um, while they were still taking drugs. Because revival is messy. Messy people are getting convicted of their sins, they're turning their lives around, and that sanctification part takes a bit longer sometime, and they eventually got there. 
And they actually, after a while, um, decided they needed to get into a church. And they found a church, and I wish I had this picture because it's, it's in my book that my nephew has right now. Um, they found the Southern Baptist Church, and the pastor of this church, this is what I want you to see, is the stereotypical, whitest, uptightest, grayest man. I mean, it's, I mean you, this picture who I'm talking about here, this was the pastor that discipled them. He had this choice to make when they came to his church. Because it's completely changed his church. And he saw what was happening and got on board with it and discipled these people who eventually became disciple Christians and the movement happened and there's this all kinds of stuff that's really great. You should read the books and hear the interviews. Um, so that's one revival. A hundred years ago, there was another revival called the Azusa Street Revival. Again, a real street in California. Um, this began in California in 1906 by a preacher who was African-American. So interesting. And for nine years, this revival happened where whites and African-Americans were worshiping together side by side in the 1910s. Think about that. I mean, yes, it was California, um, not Alabama, but think if this revival had how it could have changed America's wounds right now. But when that revival ended, two denominations were created. The Assemblies of God, which is who ordained me originally, and the Church of God in Christ, historically black denomination. Revival happened, separation happened, and racism continued. Oh, what could have been? After the Jesus People Movement, where do we get non-denominational churches and mega-churches? Good and bad, but it definitely changed church. Another thing that we got from that Jewish people movement, and I'm not going to, this is good news, we got really good music. <laughs> from the early 70s stuff with Larry Norman and Stonehill to what has influenced Hill songs. This all came out of that revival music. God. Um, so, back in late 5th century BC, there was a revival of the depraved people of Nineveh. When will the next revival be, you guys? I mean, it's been 50 years. But back to Jenna. Let's go on to read in chapter 3, David, beginning at verse 1, because he was the one chosen to lead this revival. And so this is verse 3 starts after the big fish. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Sometimes we need to hear it more than once, right? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it. We proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Interesting fact there, huh? Jonah began by going to by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown." The Ninevites believed God, fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. 
Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The revival happened from the king to everyone. Can you imagine that? I mean, this, can you imagine that would happen in America today? Just, I mean, just the process of that, the, the thinking of that. Let's go to chapter 4. This is Jonah's response to this great thing that I've been praying for. And is, is, you know, anyway, this is Jonah's response. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, it, this, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Can you just read this description of God again? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Jonah. <laughs> The kids won't be hearing about this Jonah, this, by the way. This one is a complicated Jonah and hard to understand. Don't you ever wonder why some of these stories in the Bible were kept? Why somebody just didn't edit out all, this bad, all these bad parts? But yet, some these reasons to teach us these stories have made this inspired word of God for us to remember and to learn from. So let's read the rest of Jonah 4 and see how, pout how pouty Jonah was. Verse 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I mean, picture this. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about this plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, or you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there were more than 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end. That's where the story ends. The heart of God. A little segue there how God cares about the animals. How God is about creation care, and we need to care about the animals too. But people finding Jesus is messy. Remember that Baptist pastor I, t I talked to you about? Those hippies came into his Baptist church unwashed, barefoot, high on drugs or coming down from something the night before they came into that church. He had a choice to make. His people had a choice to make. 
his church council had a choice to make and they chose to go with the messiness of it whatever revival happens next and I do have some suspicion what it's going to look like it is going to be messy not just Christians taking drugs still messy I think it's going to be a little bit messier for the church to handle will we be like Jonah our pouty that we're worshiping side by side with forgiven messy people or will we adjust and welcome the mess of people who are acknowledging their sin and are being repentant of it and that part is very important that they are recognizing their sin and are repentant of it Jonah met with God inside a big fish and was delivered and he still didn't know the heartbeat of God church is messy you guys God is messy the more you get into this faith the more you get involved with the church family you start seeing this messiness and this brokenness of it but see God loves those sinners so much he uses things in the universe to bring them to him including you because you're in this universe God loves those horrible sinners like the Ninevites and everybody else you can think and he will use what he can to get them it is often said that we're going to be surprised at who we're going to see in heaven and that's awesome and I want to give you guys this one verse too Romans 9.16 so it is God who decides to show mercy we can neither choose it nor work for it it is God who decides we just need to begin what matters people is that we are speaking God's message not blurring it to fit the culture 1 Corinthians 1.17 this is an often preached verse for us preachers here for Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the good news and not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power that's where the power is that draws that's what Jonah's message was of course it was pre-cross but this is where the power is, is from that changes people's lives so who are you going to be? Jonah the message giver who gets to see revival? or who gets to see changed lives? or Jonah the powder who misses the beauty of it who is mad at those who were once lost and are now saved and who has no mercy I wish the answer was like one or the other but I know the truth is probably more in the middle is that you have this desire to see revival happen and this desire to see it happen but life decisions get in the way you definitely are not a powder without mercy but you also are missing opportunities because you're busy or angry or disappointed or something and you're just missing some opportunities to watch for these places where Jesus may be calling you to so I'm going to leave at that point I'm going to divide up into our summer extension classes so for those who want to get into a small group and talk about this up with some questions meet right here those of you who want to do a group project on this topic meet back there those of you who want to journal on this with some journal questions and go back there I brought out some extra journals because I don't want that to be limited and we're having 
such good stuff. Well, I'm assuming there's such good stuff being written down, but I tell you, no one has cracked this open to read it yet. As a staffer, like waiting for that what if moment. When do we get to read what everybody's writing in there? I don't know when that will be. It's going to be a holy moment. And we haven't even looked at the group projects yet. We've just been putting them away because that's, that's something that's going to be good at the end of the summer here, you know? But we haven't. So anyway, the journals are there. And then those who want to respond to this by prayer are going to gather right here. So you may go with find your spots. Here's the questions. Here's the prayer.